the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Monday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Seven minutes after four o'clock is the time. James Blend is producing today's program. Clark Hilton is engineering. Today, we'll talk with Andy Walsh. She's a PhD, an author of Faith Across the Multiverse, Parables from Modern Science. Really is a fascinating book, and we'll explain why when he joins us in the five o'clock hour. We'll also talk with Phyllis Bennett and Karen Howells about Ignite the Wonder. That's the theme of this year's Ignite conference that's sponsored by Western Seminary. It really is a highlight for me, and I know so many women in our community. If you're looking for a great day-long conference, let me encourage you to make note. March the 2nd is the uh, the date, and we will be giving you more details about that when they join me here, also in the 5 o'clock hour. Well, I have to tell you, I am thoroughly put out. You and I, as natives and residents of the Pacific Northwest here in the Portland metro area, were deprived of the opportunity to panic uh, when the snow failed to materialize that, you know, quite frankly... Clark had made it very clear that we should be a little skeptical of some of the reports we were hearing. But as it turned out, there was a light dusting. In fact, my neighborhood probably saw less than an inch. It might have been an inch if you're very generous. But you could see the little blades of grass peeking up and poking through the snow, which remained uh, most of the day, but then simply melted away. And I thought, well, maybe, maybe Sunday night, that's when the snow will appear. Well, there was nothing, honey. In fact, We just had rain and the National Weather Service. They're now issuing a winter storm watch for about 10 p.m. tonight through Tuesday afternoon and a flood watch for 7 p.m. tonight through Tuesday evening. There may be heavy snow, two to six inches above 500 feet. That's according to the Weather Service with a caveat of moderate confidence in the amounts. You notice the uh, the caution that's now being used in explaining what they think may happen, but don't really know. Now, I know, Clark, you want to say something about this. Uh, we didn't have the opportunity to whine and complain about all the snow because it didn't really happen, yeah, at least con- in the Portland metro The confidence area. is low that there's going to be anything, anything tonight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Only a, yeah what we got was a whole lot of nothing. I did get some in Salem. We're at about 550 feet in the hills of South Salem where we live. So we got about two or three inches on Friday night into early Saturday morning. Oh, two it to stopped three about, inches. stopped about 9 a.m. Uh-huh. And were the roads slippery at all? Was there anything to be worried about in um, well, they were in your car? They were treated. They were treated. I went out later in the day, and it was fine. Yeah, people were buying up groceries. I spoke to several friends who went to the grocery uh, store. I, people bought was, as if you know we were really expecting a very long and honestly, that was the weirdest thing I have yeah, ever seen. Yeah, and I, so I think the grocery stores should be. Uh, Sharing their commissions with the uh, the weather folks or vice versa. <laughs> Probably so. Um, the snow did fall in much of southwest Washington, northwest Oregon, Friday night, Saturday morning, although 
The totals varied widely across the region. Most of us didn't get much of anything. Heavy snow fell in Clark and Cowlitz counties in southwest Washington, where it began late on Friday afternoon. The National Weather Service said Longview got about seven inches of snow. Camas got eight inches. Parts of Vancouver got four inches. But um, at least uh, those of us who live in the Portland metro area saw far less than that. Anyway, I feel robbed. All these plans for, uh, you know, just kind of hunkering down were unnecessary. So there you have it. Well, taking a look at some of the developing news stories from the day uh, with another possible partial government shutdown looming at week's end. Both sides seem to agree on one thing. They're far apart on funding the president's border wall. Bipartisan compromise talks on funding for the president's proposed border wall have completely broken down, according to uh, sources. Lawmakers, um, they have to pass legislation on government funding by the 15th, or face the possibility of shutting down the government again. Late last month, the White House agreed to a temporary spending bill to end the uh, 35-day government shutdown, although the president said at the time that the move was not a uh, concession and that he would not relent on his demands for a wall. Well, the stall in negotiations raises the possibility that the president will, in fact, declare a national emergency to access previously appropriated funds to initiate construction on a border wall. Acting Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney told Fox News Sunday that other ways of funding may be available to build the wall without an emergency declaration. However, Mulvaney went on to say declaring a national emergency remains an option for the president and a wall will be built one way or another with or without Congress. So keep watching. Facing two allegations of sexual assault, Virginia Lieutenant Governor Justin Fairfax is facing increasing pressure to resign as Democratic lawmakers on Sunday circulated a draft resolution to start impeachment proceedings against him. They have um, suspended that, at least for now. Meanwhile, in an interview with CBS News, the embattled Democratic uh, Governor Ralph Northam vowed to remain in office because there's no better person to help the state heal from the multitude of scandals rocking its leadership than a doctor like himself. So not the politician, not the young person who disgraced himself in uh, blackface or in a KKK robe, um, but the physician that he once was. Well, in the same interview, Northam, uh, whose medical school yearbook page, uh, page rather featured one person in blackface, another in a KKK robe, suggested that Fairfax should resign, that's his lieutenant governor, if the two sexual assault allegations leveled against him are proven true. This was a gift to him because it shifted attention away from his own uh, troubles and uh, certainly changed the conversation completely away from his comments that were tantamount to infanticide. The governor also suggested that the state's Democratic Attorney General Mark Herring should consider stepping aside because he admitted to dressing in blackface in college. So I don't know how the governor, once physician, should remain to heal the wounds. And he thinks that the attorney general, who's uh, been accused of and admitted to the exact same thing, should go. So it's a rather interesting uh, thing. Senator Amy Klobuchar, Democrat out of Minnesota, became the latest Democrat to throw her hat in the ring for the 2020 presidential race, announcing on Sunday, covered in snow, her candidacy during a speech in Minneapolis, frigid and snowy Boom Island Park. Klobuchar, a moderate Midwestern Democrat who has uh, served in the Senate since 2007, highlighted in speech her ability to work across the aisle with Republicans and her grit as Democrats try to win back voters in the region that supported then-candidate Donald Trump in the 2016 race.
And Representative Ilhan Omar, a Democrat from Minnesota, sparked backlash on Sunday evening from members of both parties, including former first daughter Chelsea Clinton and former U.S. Ambassador to the U.N. Nikki Haley, after she accused American Israel Public Affairs Committee, or APAC a prominent lobbying group of paying members of Congress to support Israel. Omar, who became the first Somali-American woman elected to Congress in November, responded to a Twitter post by journalist Glenn Greenwald criticizing House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy for threatening to take action against Omar and another freshman lawmaker, Rashida Talab, uh, over allegedly anti-Semitic remarks. Well, Greenwald accused McCarthy of targeting Omar and Talab for their numerous criticisms of Israel, to which Omar chimed in, it's all about the Benjamins, baby, quoting a 1997 rap song by Puff Daddy. We'll talk more about um, at least um, the response from uh, Representative Omar a bit later in the program. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. 21 minutes after 4 o'clock, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Later in the 5 o'clock hour, we'll talk with Dr. Andy Walsh, author of Faith Across the Multiverse, Parables from Modern Science. We'll also hear from Phyllis Bennett and Karen Howells. If you don't already know, you need to know and mark the date. On March the 2nd, Ignite returns to the Portland metro area. Ignite the Wonder is this year's theme. That's coming up on Saturday, March the 2nd. We'll give you all the important details when they join us in the 5 o'clock hour. Michelle Obama, Dolly Parton, Casey Musgraves were the biggest winners at the 2019 Grammys, even though Musgraves was the only one of the three to take home a trophy. Musgraves was visibly shocked when she was announced as the night's biggest winner for the album of the year for her record Golden Hour, which won earlier in the evening for Best Country Album. I don't even know what to say, she said. I am very thankful winning doesn't make my album any better than anybody else in this category. And while Musgraves wins... uh, Her win, rather, finished off the three-and-a-half-hour star-studded affair. Host Alicia Keys set the tone for the show with a somewhat rambling opening speech about music being our global language before shocking the audience by bringing Michelle Obama, Lady Gaga, Jennifer Lopez, and Jada Pinkett Smith on the stage. And a top advisor to New York Democratic Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has admitted that an official Green New Deal document posted by Ocasio-Cortez's office contained a guarantee of economic security, even for those unwilling to work, but not before he went viral in progressive circles for claiming the exact opposite, repeatedly in an interview or I should say an interview after interview. Well, it's, uh, it's uh, almost as if we need a border barrier. Illegal immigration across the southwestern border is on pace for the worst year since 2007, or the last time the country began a massive wall-building spree, according to a new Homeland Security uh, numbers. Four months into the fiscal year, the Border uh, Patrol nabbed nearly 201,500 people compared to 109,500 at the same point in the previous year. In that, 84% surge holds, or if it holds, it works out to 733,000 immigrants crossing illegally for fiscal year 2019, which would be by far the highest number in more than a decade. And the Washington Free Beacon reports that Democratic Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi 
has appointed to the Special Committee on Climate Change members who have all received significant backing from the energy industry if it wasn't for double standards. Well, we'll leave it at that. Will Ocasio-Cortez's Green New Deal even get a vote? The Washington Examiner's Susan Ferraccio um, wonders. Right now, it's not etched in stone. House Speaker Pelosi hasn't promised it will get time on the floor. And as of last week, she hadn't even read the ambitious resolution. It's been rather sketchy in her a reference to it. Bracing for the worst, U.S.-backed Syrian forces say they launched a final push to defeat ISIS in the only remaining pocket of territory the extremists still hold in that country. A large presence of American troops remain in Syria, but local forces uh, fear what comes uh, if the U.S. completely pulls out, which the president said will happen. And predictably, prosecutors initially included a charge of abortion against the Queen's man arrested on Friday in his pregnant girlfriend's murder, but rescinded it because of Governor Andrew Andrew Cuomo's new Reproductive Health Act. So that child carried by his girlfriend that was wanted doesn't really count. Mm. And on this day in 2012, pop singer Whitney Houston, 48, is found dead in a hotel room bathtub rather, in Beverly Hills, California. On this day in 2009, U.S. Representative John Dingell, Democrat from Michigan, who first went to Congress in 1955, becomes the longest serving member of the U.S. House of Representatives. By the way, Dingell died last Thursday at age 92. And on this day in 1990, South African black activist Nelson Mandela is freed after 27 years in captivity. Well, with less than a week to go until another potential partial government uh, shutdown begins on Friday, bipartisan compromise talks on funding for the president's proposed border wall have completely broken down, according to sources on the Hill. The sudden development again raised the possibility that uh, the president will declare a national emergency to access previously appropriated funds to initiate construction on a border wall. The White House agreed to a temporary spending bill late last month to end the historic 35-day government shutdown, although the president said at that time that the move was not a concession and that he would not relent on his demands for a wall. Talks um, have broken down because Senate Republicans are refusing to compromise on the limits to the president's uh, cruel immigration policies. A senior uh, Democrat uh, aide told Fox News on Sunday, a deal that includes new physical barriers must also include limits on the number of ICE detention beds. If Senate Republicans won't compromise with us on both, we can't reach a deal, end quote. Well, added a GOP source, the wall is a red herring for the Democrats. We got stuck on an interior enforcement cap. Such a cap would if, uh, effectively limit ICE's ability to house illegal immigrants caught domestically by reducing the number of available beds in detention centers. The goal, Democrats say, is to force the Trump administration to prioritize arresting and deporting only violent criminals and dangerous offenders. Well, uh, negotiations can't if they can't resolve the situation soon. They're likely looking at trying to pass another temporary continuing resolution to try to avoid a shutdown. Again, Friday is the deadline. On January 29th, John Rood, U.S. Undersecretary of Defense for Policy, told Congress that three migrant caravans were crossing Mexico, headed for the U.S. border. One of the three, um, one of those caravans, rather, comprised roughly 12,000 people, Rood said, reportedly the largest migrant caravan on record. These caravans mainly comprised migrants from the Central American countries of Honduras, Guatemala and El Salvador, an area known as the Northern Triangle. Caravans in one shape or form are becoming a new normal. 
and Sarah, David and Sarah, policy analysts for Homeland Security, says they offer political agitators in Latin America the opportunity to make big domestic political statements while offering would-be migrants a seemingly safer and cheaper way to come to the U.S. Once they arrive at the U.S. border, many Central American migrants ask for asylum, claiming credible fear of being harmed should they return to their home country. In fiscal year 2018, U.S. Customs and Border Protection registered 92,959 asylum claims on the southern U.S. border, a 67 percent increase from the year prior, 67 percent. These numbers reflect a dramatic increase in initial fear claims by those encountered on the border, which is straining border security, immigration enforcement and courts and uh, other federal resources. U.S. Customs and Border Protection Commissioner Kevin McLennan said in a press release published on the, a- the agency's website on their own, bigger caravans don't account for that uh, that notable increase in asylum seekers, even this January, 12,000 person caravan represents a fraction of the 50,753 people apprehended illegally crossing the southern border in December alone. And while caravans certainly represent a concerning new trend, it's uh, worth noting that the U.S. still apprehends or turns back thousands of individuals attempting to cross the border without authorization every day, in Sarah said. So caravans, at least right now, represent an additional challenge on top of the existing illegal immigration access uh, and across the southern border. Experts say that changing the nature of uh, caravans is uh, symptomatic of a, a border change in the nature of immigration across the southern, uh, southwestern border, rather, as more women and children are now making the journey with hopes of using loopholes in the asylum process as a means to gain entry to the United States. Some Mexican border towns are now saying they will only house uh, those uh, attempting to enter the United States for three months. What happens at that point isn't altogether clear, but the system on both sides of the border seem to be breaking down by being overwhelmed. 30 minutes after 4 o'clock, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. 35 minutes after 4 o'clock, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I want to remind you that tickets went on sale today at 9 a.m. for Gospel Sing Live. That's coming to the Salem area Friday, August 16th, 7 o'clock p.m. at Riverfront Park in Salem, Oregon. It's an evening of great Southern gospel music and celebration of the 50 years of gospel sing here on KPDQ. West Hampton, Tribute Quartet, the Booth Brothers, they'll all be performing. Tickets are now on sale at kpdq.com, and uh, we hope to uh, to see you there for this celebration. Also, later in the next hour, we're going to talk with Phyllis Bennett and Karen Howells, uh, both involved in Ignite, the Western Seminary Women's Conference is coming up on March the 2nd. This year's theme, Ignite the Wonder. There's worship, biblical exposition, customized teaching, prayer, networking. It's going to be a great uh, event. March the 2nd, that's a Saturday at Greater Portland Bible Church in Portland. It's a one-day seminar, early registration, $30, and you have until um, Sunday the 24th at midnight to take advantage of that uh, discounted price. It goes up uh, after uh, after that. And there's also a group price, a group rate for $25 uh, per person for groups of 10 or more. Ignite the Wonder. Check it out at westernseminary.edu slash ignite. 
Well, in an unprecedented rebuke under the new Congress, House Democratic leaders on Monday roundly condemned Representative Ilhan Omar, Democrat out of Minnesota, for statements about supporters of Israel that were widely viewed as anti-Semitic and called on her to apologize. The statement issued by House Speaker Pelosi and the rest of the Democratic leadership team followed the latest in a string of controversial comments from the freshman lawmaker, as well as pressure from Republican leaders to speak out. Anti-Semitism must be called out, confronted and condemned whenever it is encountered without exception, the statement said. We are and will always be strong supporters of Israel in Congress because we understand that our support is based on shared values and strategic interests. Legitimate criticism of Israel's policies is protected by the values of free speech and democratic debate that the United States and Israel share. But Congresswoman Omar's use of anti-Semitic tropes and prejudiced accusations about Israel's supporters is deeply offensive. We condemn these remarks and we call upon Congresswoman Omar to immediately apologize for those hurtful comments. Well, the statement came after several other senior Democrats had weighed in, including the chairman of the House Foreign Affairs Committee, on which Omar sits. Anti-Semitism in any form is unacceptable, and it's shocking to hear a member of Congress invoke the anti-Semitic trope of Jewish money, Representative Elliot Engel said earlier in the day. Well, to her credit, Democratic Representative Omar apologized for the comments calling out problematic role of APAC and other lobbyists. She apologized for the comments in which she implied that a prominent pro-Israel lobby compensated lawmakers for their support of the Jewish state, but insisted on what she called the problematic role of lobbyists in our politics. Anti-Semitism is real, and I am grateful for Jewish allies and colleagues who are educating me on the painful history of anti-Semitic tropes, Omar wrote in a statement posted on Twitter. My intention is never to offend my constituents or Jewish Americans as a whole. We have uh, we have to always be willing to step back and think through criticism, just as I expect people to hear me when others attack me for my identity. She is a Muslim woman from Somalia. This is why I unequivocally apologize. At the same time, she added, I reaffirm the problematic role of lobbyists in our politics, whether it be APAC, the American Israel Public Affairs Committee, the National Rifle Association, or the fossil fuel industry. It's gone on too long, and we must be willing to address it, end quote. She drew condemnation from uh, members, uh, but was quick to apologize, which was, um, I think, surprising to many, but certainly the right response to her leadership. Meanwhile, Senator Elizabeth Warren targeted President Trump during a campaign speech in Iowa on Sunday when she considered a run against the sitting president and suggested that he may not even be a free person in 2020. That's certainly a a dream of the, the Democrats and opponents on the other side of the political ledger. Warren, who officially announced her bid for the Democratic presidential nomination on Saturday, made the remark at the Veterans Memorial Building in Cedar Rapids in front of a crowd of several hundred. The Massachusetts senator argued that Democrats should resist the urge to respond to a racist tweet, a hateful tweet, something really dark and ugly when choosing whether or not to spar with Trump. Are we going to let him use those to divide us, Warren said, according to a report from The New York Times. By the time we get to 2020, Donald Trump may not even be president. She continued, in fact, he may, he may not even be a free person. When asked to clarify her statements, she pointed to the multiple open investigations into the president, which includes the Russia probe by special counsel Robert Mueller, two additional investigations led by federal prosecutors in New York, and Democrats who won back the majority in the House of Representatives this past November. As we go forward, she went on to say, in this campaign, it's going to be chasing every tweet and nasty statement from Donald Trump or are we going to talk about what's broken in our country and what we're going to do to fix it? 
um, I want to uh, talk about what's going wrong and how we can see it right. So she has thrown her hat into the ring, anticipating that the president will not be her uh, primary challenger on the other side of the uh, aisle. Senator um, Amy Klobuchar, she became the latest Democrat to throw her hat in the ring for the 2020 presidential race, announcing on Sunday her candidacy during a speech in Minneapolis, frigid and snowy Boom Island Park. A moderate Midwestern Democrat who has served the Senate since 2007 highlighted in speech after uh, in her speech, rather, her ability to work across the aisle with Republicans, saying we worked across the aisle to get the federal funding and we rebuilt the I-35W bridge. It's just over in just over a year, Klobuchar said in her speech uh, with the interstate uh, over the Mississippi River as her backdrop. That's uh, community. That's shared story. That's ordinary people doing extraordinary things, she said in her prepared remarks. She added. But that sense of community is fractured across our nation right now, worn down by the petty and vicious nature of our politics. We are all tired of the shutdowns and the put downs of the gridlock and the grandstanding today on this snowy island. And she was covered in snow, not having an umbrella. We say enough is enough. Our nation must be governed not from chaos, but from opportunity, not by wallowing over what's wrong, but by marching inexorably toward what's right. The I-35W Mississippi River Bridge collapsed in uh, August of 2007. Thirteen people were killed. Now, she, as I mentioned, is uh, considered a moderate Midwestern Democrat, and she will have to um, run the gauntlet of the more liberal uh, arm of the party. And whether or not that's uh, going to be possible will be an interesting element in her campaign. Meanwhile, four staffers working for embattled Virginia Lieutenant Governor Justin Fairfax resigned today, leaving him with a skeleton crew as calls grow for him to step down and amid uh, two sexual assault allegations. Fairfax Policy Director Adele McClure and scheduler Julia Billingsley both called it quits uh, today, as did David Mills and Courtney uh, Mikardo, two employees of his We Rise Together Political Action Committee, Fairfax spokeswoman, uh, confirmed. Mills is a former executive director of the Democratic Party of Virginia and is married to state Democratic Senator Jennifer McClellan, vice chair of the Virginia Legislative Black Caucus, which has called for Fairfax to step down. The departures were first reported by the Richmond Times-Dispatch and confirmed um, Fairfax is accused of sexual harassment or assault, rather, in two cases that date back nearly two decades. He for his first accuser, a professor at Scripps College in California, alleges that Fairfax forced her um, to engage in sexual activity in July of 2004 during rather the Democratic National Convention in Boston. A lawyer for another woman accusing Fairfax of sexual assault uh, said in a statement that Fairfax raped um, her when they were students at Duke University, calling the alleged attack premeditated and aggressive. Fairfax has denied both allegations and claims that uh, they are part of a smear campaign against him and um, he doesn't intend to resign. He has called for the FBI to undergo an investigation to clarify these allegations. He certainly does deserve his day in court um, and let's hope that will happen so it can ultimately be resolved in the state of Virginia that's been embattled by a number of allegations with top leaders. When we come back, we're going to talk about former members of the Evangelical New Tribes Missionary Group telling of the sex abuse they suffered as children from what they call dorm dads who played sick games and assaulted them as they pretended to be asleep. Also, hundreds of Southern Baptist leaders, volunteers accused of sexual misconduct in a bombshell investigation as well. 
God help us. We'll be back in just a few moments. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. 50 minutes after 4 o'clock, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our next hour, we'll talk with Dr. Andy Walsh, author of Faith Across the Multiverse, Parables from Modern Science. And we'll talk with Phyllis Bennett and Karen Howells. We're going to talk about the Western Seminary Women's Conference, Ignite. It's coming up on March the 2nd. You still have uh, the lowered prices right up through the 24th. We'll give you more details. Ignite the Wonder is this year's theme. Check it out. That's coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. Well, former members of the Evangelical New Tribes Missionary Group are tell, telling the uh, of the sex abuse they suffered as children from dorm dads who played sick games and assaulted them as they pretended to sleep. Five women who attended two different New Tribes mission schools between 1980 and 1990 have spoken out on NBC about the abuse they suffered. Two dorm dads who were named allegedly lurked into the children's bedrooms after evening prayer to molest the girls as young as six. Um, I won't go into much of the details, but these five four members of the evangelical Christian group, once new, known rather as the New Tribes Mission, have spoken out about the uh, horrendous abuse they suffered as children. They attended mission schools in both the Philippines and Senegal between, uh, again, 80 and 90. Uh, in an exclusive interview with NBC, they say two dorm dads entrusted with caring for them instead exploited their positions as caregivers to molest and assault them. Dorm dads and moms would conduct conduct nightly Bible readings for the boys and girls at the boarding school with some as young as six in their bedrooms. But as the lights went out, things would change dramatically. Under the cover of darkness, the men would reportedly forego their religious beliefs and act um, differently. Uh, They described what happened and so on. The missionary group was founded in 1942 and work all over the world, often in some of the most hard to reach and impoverished places. Drake identified one of the... um, uh, women, a caretaker, as her attacker, and uh, she isn't alone in her allegations. Several named the same person or persons um, who were responsible. According to the claims, they began um, when she were, uh, this one particular woman was six and, and uh, in the ordeal, and it lasted for three years. Um, of course, these boarding schools are where the children stayed while their parents were engaged in missionary work with the expectation that the children were being well taken care of. So this uh, disclosure, and again, it was featured on NBC News, is uh, to say it's heartbreaking is a gross understatement. Then the other headline, hundreds of Southern Baptist leaders, volunteers accused of sexual misconduct in a bombshell investigation as well. Uh, many of them quietly returning to church roles, even after being convicted of sex crimes. Well, this uh, investigation by the Houston Chronicle and the San Antonio Express News found that over the past 20 years, about 380 Southern Baptist church leaders and volunteers have faced credible accusations of sexual misconduct. Of those, roughly 220 were convicted of sex crimes or received plea deals in cases involving more than 700 victims in all, the report found. Many accusers were young men and women who allegedly experienced everything from exposure to inappropriate material to rape, and um, uh, some were even impregnated at the hands of church members. The newspapers reported that the Southern Baptist Convention largely treated the accusations as isolated issues and took on an 
out-of-sight, out-of-mind mentality, even amid growing pressures to create a registry so that accusations wouldn't disappear as alleged perpetrators moved from city to city. The Chronicle and Express News created a database of convicted sexual abusers with documented connections to the SBC. The investigation took over six months and involved the cross-examination of hundreds of allegations corroborated by court documents and prison records. The results were startling and reiterated how allegations of sexual misconduct aren't limited to just the Catholic Church. Many accusers said their experiences of assault at the hands of church officials they trusted changed their lives forever. Um, Attempts to reach um, some of the specific churches mentioned were not uh, were not responded to. Um, and I'm not going to go into much more detail because I don't, I don't want to do that. But it certainly highlights the necessity of taking allegations seriously, of making sure individuals don't simply move to another area or resume the role that they once played in the church, which apparently was what happened in some of the cases cited um, in this case. And I think it's also important for churches to recognize um, how vulnerable um, they might be to these kinds of events taking place and how to seriously anticipate and prepare for dealing with them appropriately. Well, there's an emerging trend on Instagram. Uh, it's has experts raising a few eyebrows. Teenagers are creating a fake Instagram account called a Finsta, usually with a, a smaller group of friends and family members. They experiment with alternative identities, for example, acting like a jock or posting about their accomplishments before anyone else knows, or they post about a new passion for um, uh, some sort of music or something that they're not quite ready to let everyone else know about. It's mostly harmless, but the trend uh, could lead to a much more serious problem, they're telling us, related to how teens perceive reality. As psychiatrists uh, say, teenagers might take the feedback from any uh, an alternative identity online way too seriously. It's a problem when uh, uh, teens create personas to appeal to others instead of creating personas that come from themselves, she explained. For instance, a, a preppy teen posting pictures of himself wearing goth clothes, posing in front of a uh, a wall with painted wings, um, is totally normal and healthy. A teen who is struggling with self-image issues, posting pictures of her body and seeking comments to define her self-esteem is unhealthy. And both sorts of things apparently are taking place. Meanwhile, a Massachusetts woman who was convicted of involuntary manslaughter for encouraging her boyfriend to kill himself has started her jail sentence. Michelle Carter is now 22. She was escorted from a courtroom and uh, today um, and transported to jail. She was sentenced to 15 months in 2017, but the judge allowed her to remain free while she appealed the conviction. Well, last week, the Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court upheld her conviction, saying that her actions caused the death of Conrad Roy III. After she uh, convinced him uh, to get back into the carbon monoxide filled truck, she did exactly nothing to help him. She did not call for help or tell him to get out of the truck as she listened to him choke and die. The Supreme Justice uh, Judicial Court Justice Scott uh, Kafka wrote in the court's opinion, affirming her conviction. Carter's lawyer said that uh, they plan to appeal the ruling to the U.S. Supreme Court, among other legal options, and noted in court documents that Carter has no prior criminal record, hasn't tried to flee and has been 
uh, undergoing mental health treatment. But on Monday, the judge ruled that Carter should start uh, her sentence. She showed up uh, with no emotion as she exited the courtroom. She was 17 in July of 2014 when she persuaded an 18-year-old to kill himself through dozens of text messages and phone calls, prosecutors said. Roy died when his pickup truck filled with carbon monoxide in a store parking lot. You can't think about it. You just have to do it, she said. She said, uh, you said you were going to do it. Um, like, I don't get why you aren't, she wrote in one text, chastising him for hesitating. She texted him on the day he died. Uh, you keep pushing it off and you say you'll do it, but you never do. It's always going to be that way if you don't take action. Again, she was urging him to do what ultimately ended his life. Uh, the case received international attention, provided a disturbing look at teenage depression and suicide. Carter and Roy both struggled with depression, and Roy was, had previously tried to kill himself. The relationship consisted mostly of texting and other electronic communications, um, and the two apparently knew each other. It's a sad, sad situation. Well, coming up in the next hour of today's program, we're going to talk with Dr. Andy Walsh. He is the author of Faith Across the Multiverse, Parables from Modern Science, and he takes on four science disciplines and uh, explains how they help him to better understand and and can help all of us better understand who God is. The heavens declare the glory of God, and he makes it a bit easier to see how, in fact, that's the case in some of these disciplines that we may not be as familiar with as, uh, as someone uh, like himself. We're also going to give you all the uh, the latest details for Ignite, which is coming to the Portland area on March the 2nd. That's a Saturday. This year, it's going to be at Greater Portland Bible Church on Southwest Vermont Street here in Portland. The theme is Igniting the Wonder. And at this conference, you're going to experience great, powerful worship music, biblical exposition with two keynote addresses by local Bible expositor Karen Howells. There's going to be customized teaching, so you have an opportunity to attend two breakout sessions, 20 wonder-filled breakouts to choose from in panels. Uh, There's going to be prayer available for women uh, to pray with guests during the lunch break, and you'll have an opportunity to network and connect with local ministries specialized for women. That's all coming up on March the 2nd at Greater Portland Bible Church. Now, if you don't want to wait for that conversation, you can register online at westernseminary.edu slash ignite. And until the uh, 24th at midnight, that's Sunday the 24th, you can enjoy the uh, uh, early registration uh, price. All right, all of that coming up in our next hour. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, News and Traffic, up next. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the second hour of The Georgine Rice Show, brought to you in part today by Zero Res. Well, my next guest says that science can help us know God. And while we know the heavens declare the glory of God, few people actually give thought to just how science and the Bible intertwine. Even the Apostle Paul says God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen. My next guest, Dr. Andy Walsh, holds a Ph.D. in molecular biology and immunology and is the author of Faith Across the Multiverse, Parables of Modern Science. He looks at many of the same questions biblical characters ask that are relevant to today. Solomon, for example, wondered why there is so much evil in the world. Elijah suggests an empirical test to prove God is 
real. Gideon begged for a sign from God, and it goes on and on from there. Well, it's a fascinating uh, book for people who want to think deeply and see how science reveals, as Scripture suggests, the glory of God. Dr. Andy Walsh completed his postdoctoral fellowship at Carnegie Mellon University in computational biology. He earned his Ph.D. in molecular biology and immunology from Bloomberg School of Public Health at St. John's Hopkins or rather at Johns Hopkins University. Uh, He serves as a science writer for InterVarsity Christian Fellowship's Emerging Scholars blog, and his writing can be found on the Pathos Network and in the Behemoth, a Christianity Today publication. Today he joins us to talk about his book, Faith Across the Multiverse, Parables from Modern Science. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Well, learning a little bit about your background explains perhaps uh, why you undertook this subject, but maybe we can begin there. What inspired you to take on uh, the subject of how faith uh, and the multiverse can help us better understand uh, who God is over several different disciplines? Sure. So, you know, I've always been interested in science, and I've uh, been a part of the church for most of my life, so been two pretty constant themes. Um, But it was in grad school, um, participating in Bible study uh, through university, where I um, came across the idea that uh, something I had just learned in a math class about probability theory might help us to understand uh, the passage in the Bible that we were talking about in our Bible study, uh, thinking about the return of Jesus and how likely it is to happen at any given moment. And when I brought up this idea uh, from probability theory, Another math student in the class, uh, or in the Bible study group, rather, uh, said, oh, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense to me, too. And so we kind of got talking about how, you know, the thing that we've been studying helped us to, to understand a question about the Bible that, that had never really made sense to us before. Hmm. Uh, and so after that, that kind of got me excited and interested, and I started paying attention a little bit more to other ways in which the things that I was learning uh, from science, the language that I was learning from science and those concepts behind it, uh, could help me to think about what I was reading in the Bible a little bit differently. Now, when you mentioned mathematics, uh, I'm guessing half the people in our listening audience winced just a bit. It can be intimidating and overwhelming because we think about being in middle school and high school and how difficult mathematics uh, may have been. Um, tell us how this book can relate to the average follower of Jesus and helping us better understand, first of all, have a perhaps a higher regard for the role that science can play in helping us understand uh, who God is, uh, but also that we can uh, grasp some of the concepts that you uh, focus on in your book, Faith Across the Multiverse. Sure. So you're right, a lot of people have anxiety about math, and I think a lot of that stems from the fact that our brains aren't naturally wired to do arithmetic uh, very easily. So the, the hard computations, lots of multiplication, long division, all of that isn't something that you know comes naturally to us. You have to learn through a lot of hard practice, and for some folks it, it may never come to be particularly uh, fluid. But that's not really what we're talking about mm-hmm. in the book. The book doesn't require anybody to actually do any long division or do any <laughs> kind of computation. Um, instead, we're talking about ideas from math and how those, how those ideas and the language that we use to talk about those ideas from math uh, can help us to talk about theology. So things like uh, the butterfly effect from chaos theory in uh, mathematics, which is something that I think a lot of people might have encountered, may not even realize that it's something from uh, a math discipline, uh, but this idea that you know, if a butterfly flaps its wings in one part of the world, it changes whether or not it's going to rain in another part of the world, um, <clears throat> and that uh, the math that goes along with that uh, is something that I developed uh, as a way to talk about God's grace, 
And so things like that where, uh, again, it's, it's concepts rather than asking people to, to do any kind of computation mm-hmm. or calculation. Now, the other thing I want to ask you about early on is this notion of science. In the 20th century, science became the enemy of religion, for lack of a better word, for the, and for the sake of our discussion. And so a lot of people just assume anything that falls in the category of science is a natural enemy of faith. What you are suggesting in the book, however, is that science has helped you think more clearly about who God is, and you help your readers to recognize the value of what he has created and left for us uh, to better understand him as well. Yeah, so, you know, that's a, a popular concept of, of how science and, and religion or Christianity have been getting along in the in the 20th and 21st century. Uh, in fact, there, you know, there's a long history of, of faithful Christian believers in, all, in a variety of sciences, also in the 20th and 21st century. Uh, and so, you know, there have always been plenty of people who uh, have, see, have seen the two things to go together, and my hope is just that uh, this may bring some of the, the discipline of science, the language of science that is familiar to the scientists and the folks who have studied in those areas, uh, to be a little more familiar to uh, everybody else through uh, connecting it to the Bible and also through connecting it to from, uh, popular stories as well. Now, Faith Across the Multiverse looks at God from four distinct categories, the language of mathematics we've already mentioned, but also the language of physics, the language of biology, and the language of computer science. Talk to us a little bit about your desire to introduce readers to God and how science in these four disciplines in particular can help us do that. Sure. So I chose uh, those particular parts of science mostly because they were the ones I was most familiar with and Mm -hmm. most comfortable talking about. And I think that they can help us explore different uh, features of God and, and our Christian beliefs. So in math, I talk a little bit about some of the more uh, abstract ideas, like what is the nature of God and what is the nature of God's grace, and so forth. And then in the uh, in the section on physics, we talk about Jesus, who is the you know, physical incarnation of God as a human. And so you know, now we're starting to take some of that those abstract ideas from the math and putting them in context of the real physical world and how those two things relate. Um, so, and all of that comes to a head in the person of Jesus in, in Scripture. So we talk about uh, you know, who Jesus is, how we relate to him, and what his nature is as, as the incarnation of God in human form. And then we move into biology. Biology is all about you know, how organisms function and how all their various parts work together. And so that's a section that I use to explore how the church can function and how the different parts of the church, the different people in the church, can uh, fully realize their mission and their calling as the body of Christ. And then the computer science section, talk about, um, so computer science is a lot about taking uh, tasks, figuring how to do something, how to do it well, and do it repeatedly. And so taking uh, some ideas from computer science and talking about, okay, so how is it that we are to live our lives? What are we practically meant to do uh, as we seek to follow after Jesus? Now, you write that your belief in God is informed by historical corroboration of the Bible. You've given us four scientific disciplines. Can you give us an example of uh, how historical corroboration of the Bible has helped you, helped your belief in God and perhaps a, a better understanding of who he is? All right. So, you know, there's various, uh, you know, validations of different parts of the gospel, different uh, elements, uh, his- historical events that are recorded there in the life of Jesus that we found other archaeological evidence for or documentary evidence for. Um, actually, one of the things that I think is, is most interesting uh, for folks who maybe are focused on science and things that they can observe in the moment is just the historical reality that 
the Christian church uh, meets to worship on Sundays, uh, and yet has this historical tradition coming out of a, a, the Jewish religious tradition that meets to worship on Saturdays. And, you know, how do we explain that? Well, one way that we explain that in the Christian tradition is that people had an encounter with the, the man of Jesus, that he died and that he rose again, and that we celebrate that resurrection uh, uh, by observing the Sabbath on Sunday. And so that's just a historical fact that we can observe in the present day. I go to church on Sunday. Lots of other folks go to church on Sunday. Well, how do we explain that fact of the world uh, that we currently live in? Uh, and the, the story of the Bible helps to uh, corroborate that or, or that, uh, explain that fact that we see today. We're talking about the book Faith Across the Multiverse, Parables from Modern Science, written by uh, Dr. Andy Walsh. It really is a fascinating look at uh, four disciplines in science that, as you described earlier, you're most familiar with, the language of mathematics, the language of physics, the language of biology, and the language of computer science. We're going to continue our conversation in just a moment, but I do need to take a quick break. So stay with us. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Good afternoon and welcome back. You are listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I'm continuing my conversation with Dr. Andy Walsh. He completed his postdoctoral fellowship at Carnegie Mellon University in computational biology, earned his Ph.D. in molecular microbiology and immunology from Bloomberg School of Public Health at Johns Hopkins University. He serves as science writer for InterVarsity Christian Fellowships, Emerging Scholars blog, and his uh, writing can be also found, can also be found, better way to put that, on the uh, pathos uh, Network and in Behemoth, a Christianity Today publication. You point out in one of the parables that Jesus used, the parable of the sower, that he draws uh, illustrations from botany, animal husbandry, microbiology, and that other biblical illustrations explore etymology, um, metallurgy, and um, astronomy. So I suppose we shouldn't be surprised uh, by a book like yours that draws our attention to these uh, different sciences that reveal something uh, about who God is and helps us better understand him. You say the work of faith is to discern the meaning of what we observe in the world around us. Uh, tell us a little bit about um, why that's the case. One of the things to talk about, uh, that comes from one of the early chapters in the book that talks about um, communication and, and information theory, which is a discipline in mathematics. And information theory uh, talks about how we can quantify information, how so we can figure out how uh, how many cell towers we need or how many phone lines we need to facilitate internet communications and cell phone communications and so forth. So that helps us to measure or quantify how much information you're dealing with. But what information theory can't tell us is what any of that information means. Uh, and in fact, you know, to put any kind of meaning into information or communication requires some sort of relationship. The folks on both ends of the communication have to agree on what that meaning is. Uh, and so I see uh, one way to think about our Christian faith is agreeing with God that we want to find some common meaning to, in life and in his creation and in his word um, with him. We want to find the meaning that he is trying to communicate to us, and so we want to agree with God on that common meaning. Uh, and so part of our act of faith and our exploring what that uh, faith really looks like in our lives is then trying to understand through uh, the lens of Scripture and through the lens of uh, Christian tradition what, uh, what's going on in the world around us and how to understand it and what it, all, what it all really means, what the ultimate significance of it might be. Who would you say is your, um, is your target audience in writing about these, uh, these four sciences? 
Sure. So, you know, I'm hoping that the book will appeal not just to folks who uh, are really invested in studying those sciences, who uh, who are in maybe scientific careers, but also folks who are fans of science fiction and other kinds of sort of more nerdy pop culture that are familiar with science or things that are sort of science adjacent, uh, might be familiar with some of the terms that, that come up in science, um, and are interested then in learning more both about the science and about the Bible and seeing how those two might go together. Well, in fact, you uh, make quite a few references. Uh, I was a little intimidated because you knew a whole lot more about uh, pop culture and um, uh, like Gotham City and Batman and some of these uh, these figures and somehow made them relevant and helped us to better understand some of the subjects that might otherwise have been certainly over my head, maybe not everyone else's. In your chapter, this, the part on the language of physics, you write about uh, entropy, uh, the many faces of entropy and its its principle. What can we learn about God from um, from the laws relating to entropy? Sure. So <clears throat> entropy uh, is the idea uh, from physics that uh, the universe, well, uh, entropy is a measure of how uh, energy is transformed and how uh, useful energy is, uh, the available energy and system, how much usefulness we can get out of it. Um, and there's a you know, rule in physics, or a law in physics, that the universe is tending towards uh, using up its energy and, and leaving it all in a, in a useless state. Um, is sort of the tendency of, of all physical processes. And so one way to, another way to think about uh, entropy and usefulness is that it provides, uh, actually provides a context in which life can, can exist. So as long as um, energy is in a low entropy state, in a useful state, then that's what's necessary for, for life to go on. And uh, in our physical experience, the sun is sort of our ultimate source for all that useful energy. The sun, because it is a very hot spot in the sky, because it's a very localized spot in the sky, not all around us, but just in one fixed point, um, that's what makes that uh, energy that we get from the sun a low entropy energy that's useful for all of our life processes to go on. So we can kind of think of that as being a stand-in for God, that God is sort of the ultimate a uh, useful source of energy, the low, low entropy source of energy that makes our lives possible. Um, and that, you know, in the act of uh, becoming human, in the act of dying on the cross, uh, God essentially gave up some of that uh, low entropy state of himself so that the rest of us could live. This is the, the sun is sort of continually giving up its low entropy state uh, so that uh, life around in, in the physical world can can persist. So that's one way to think about um, sort of that, that physics and how we relate to God and how God is uh, providing life for us. And then it also uh, illustrates how we can think about how to uh, be that for other people as well, that we can uh, make sure that we are providing a useful source of energy to those around us and sort of uh, balancing out things so that other folks can live and flourish and that we're not just storing up all of the useful energy for ourselves. Now, the part of the book I think most of us will relate to perhaps most easily is the language of biology. We know that we are, as described in Scripture, fearfully and wonderfully made. But the detail, uh, the genome made flesh, as you uh, call that first uh, chapter in that segment, um, helps us better understand in uh, perhaps... um, more significant ways how um, fearfully and wonderfully we are made and what that tells us about the nature of the God we worship. 
Yeah, so that's actually building on uh, one of these uh, analogies in Scripture that I that I referenced and that you brought up earlier, that mm-hmm. you know, Scripture is full, already full of the language of, of science of, the, of its time. And, you know, Paul uses the illustration of the body and the different parts of the body as different parts of the church. And so I thought we could explore that a little bit further in the light of modern cell biology and thinking about each person in the church as an individual cell. Um, and each cell in our bodies has an entire copy of our human genome. But at any given time, uh, it's not expressing all of that genome. It's only expressing certain parts of it, depending on the kind of cell that it is, the history of it, of that cell and its uh, ancestor cells, um, and the environment that it finds itself in, what sorts of cues it's getting from the cells around it currently and from things outside the body. Uh, and so in that same way, we can think about, well, each one of us, uh, has the, the Word of God in our lives. Each one of us has the entire Bible. Uh, hopefully has access to that uh, as we participate in our church. But we're not all necessarily expressing the entire Bible all at once at any given moment. But it's really the whole church working together over time that expresses that whole genome of the church, which is the Bible or the Word of God. Now, we're almost out of time, but I want you to comment on the uh, part of the the book, The Language of Computer Science. That may be a a bit more challenging for most of us. We think of the other sections as clearly the hand of God being expressed in his creation. Computer science, it's more difficult to see perhaps that relation. Talk a bit about how computer science helps reveal the glory of God. Yeah, so computer science... As a discipline, you know, there's a couple of different ways to think about it, but one of them is to think about it in terms of the algorithms that we write for computers, which is really just a fancy word for what are the processes or steps that we take to accomplish a particular task. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even before we had computers, we had to have, we had to accomplish certain tasks, and we even had algorithms, even if we didn't necessarily call them that. And so, you know, there are certain uh, steps that we take to accomplish various tasks, and even the Bible lays out um, different algorithms, you know, for example, the, the different sacrificial steps in the Old Testament. Those are, you know, step-by-step process for how to relate to God, how to restore relationship with God when it's been broken, uh, how to restore fellowship within the community when it's been broken. And so, we, you know, we all have these procedures that we follow, and computer science is just a way to think a little bit more uh, systematically about mm-hmm. them and to organize them into some more general principles. That's what I talk about in in those chapters of the book is getting at some of those underlying principles and how we can use those to think about uh, our practices in the Christian life of, uh, you know, fellowship, um, the spiritual disciplines of reading the Bible and praying and and those sorts of things. Well, this is really a fascinating book, and you've helped me to think about faith and science in ways that had not occurred to me. I would encourage those who are scientifically inclined and others who simply want to have a deeper faith and appreciate uh, those disciplines, the sciences around us, uh, and how they communicate the glory of God. Great book, Faith Across the Multiverse, Parables from Modern Science. Dr. Walsh, thank you so much for talking with us today. Thank you for having me on. Really appreciate it. Uh, by the way, the book is uh, published by Hendrickson Publishers. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Up next, we're going to talk about Ignite the Wonder. It's the Western Seminary's uh, Women's Conference that's coming up March the 2nd. We want to make sure you have all the important details, and I would love to see you there. We'll be back. 
You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back. You are listening to the Georgine Rice Show, brought to you in part today by Liberty Coin and Currency. Well, I think every woman listening here today would have to admit that life is busy, it's stressful, and there are so many things vying for our attention and that we sometimes forget. We sometimes feel overwhelmed with life and we lose the wonder of our unfailing father who holds the whole world in his hands and he has got us. I want to invite you to come and pause with us to ignite the wonder. It is the Western Seminary Women's Conference that's coming up. It's just around the bend, March the 2nd. And here with me to talk about that is Phyllis Bennett. She's the director of the Women's Center for Ministry and Women's Transformational Leader uh, Leadership. She's also the uh, co-moderator of Ignite. And this year's speaker is Karen Howes. She is the president and founder of the Howes Group, a growing organizational development consulting practice. Karen has worked as an executive coach as well as a leader, uh, leadership, teamwork, and organizational development specialist for all sizes and types of companies for almost 30 years. Uh, but I think most importantly, in terms of how I love and appreciate Karen, is her love for God's Word, her love for women, and her heart for ministry. And we are just so excited, first of all, to have you both with us today, but also excited about Ignite that's coming up just a few days from now on March the 2nd. Welcome to both of you. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Now, Phyllis, I want to begin with you. Let's talk about Ignite. The wonder is the uh, the theme this year. Tell us what inspired that theme, and it just seems so appropriate and, and uh, uh, timely. Tell us a bit of the backstory. Well, when the brainstorming team that is about 30 women gather each year, we're uh, praying together. We spend a whole morning together looking, Lord, what is on your heart for our city? And we were really amazed and just reflecting on how our busy, stressful world interrupts our days with those instant news blasts of the world's latest crisis, and it can pull us down and drag us down rather than lifting us up. And we just came up with this uh, this sense of when we are overwhelmed with the wonder of God, we can get above it all and not get stuck in the muck and the mire, because we do have an unfailing Father who holds the whole world in His hands. It's easy to forget that yeah. in the midst of uh, the stresses and the strains of life. Well, at Ignite, there are opportunities for women to attend workshops, one in the morning, one in the afternoon. And these are such inspiring opportunities to just be reminded of, or perhaps learn for the first time, uh, the wonder of God in a variety of contexts. And I'll talk about that in just a moment. But one of the uh, the, the keys of Ignite is the, uh, the keynote speaker. And this year, Karen, you have uh, been given that um, that opportunity for the second time, I believe. I think you might be the first speaker who's had the opportunity uh, a second time around, and that's a real compliment to your um, your uh, handling of God's word and your ability to communicate with women. Tell us a little bit about what you want to communicate about the wonder of His love, the wonder of God, and how we as women ought to remember that when life presses in. Well, thank you, Georgine, and I have to tell you, I've been so inspired myself as I've been digging into the Word, especially in the book of Ephesians. We're focusing on Ephesians 3, where we are admonished to really know the love of Christ and how high and how deep and how wide and how awesome it really is. And often a kind of spiritual blindness sets in that not only we uh, experience, but the Ephesians experience. 
And Paul really gives us uh, some very practical understanding about how to address our spiritual blindness, how to assume a posture of wonder in our heart and otherwise, and and how to to really look at the inheritance that we've been given. Even if I never gave this talk at a night, I I feel it's built it's built my own faith mm. and just really recalibrated me uh, to get away from those spiritual cataracts we get living in the broken world that we do. Well, and that is precisely what Ignite does for women who come in this day-long conference. And just to reflect on God's Word, having the opportunity to hear from you as the keynote speaker and other women. For example, there are workshop sessions or breakout sessions on the wonder of encouragement. Len Hansen uh, with a teaching panel is going to be uh, talking about the wonder of praying for our adult children, experiencing the wonder of God through simple daily practices, the wonder of experiencing God in in the unexpected, the wonder of finishing well, the wonder of freedom in Christ breaking strongholds, and the list goes on. The wonder of authenticity in our pain, permission to feel, the wonder of stillness, and the wonder of true fellowship. This is a tremendous opportunity for women to come together. We share common experiences and to be reminded of the assurance of God's presence and his provision and the wonder of his uh, love for us. Now, in addition, Phyllis, I know there are opportunities for women to be inspired. Uh, once again, we're going to have a wonderful worship team, dancers, and some drama that help bring that message home. Tell us a little bit about those elements. Well, Lisa Reef is our uh, wonderful worship leader. She's put together a team of seven uh, who will be, and they come from all over the city. They're so inspiring. Yes. A joy of game just leads us into the presence of Christ. We're, we're usually in tears as soon, as soon as they get on stage. We're just so overwhelmed with the wonder of God. I can't imagine tackling this topic without them. So mm-hmm. we're really uh, thrilled that they'll be coming. I'm, I'm thrilled to be co-moderating with uh, Bethany um, Files. Um, and when the brainstorming team met last year, we had um, a good number of millennials among us, and they said, we want to be front and center <laughs> So they've done our graphics, and um, they asked that I would co-moderate with a millennial, which I'm really thrilled with Bethany. And she's written our drama, and we'll be um, doing our drama with uh, Carlin, who was in the drama last year. So uh, it's just really fun to see these different elements come together. And then we have a liturgy, which I have the privilege of writing, mm. that kind of gives us these underpinnings of the theology of wonder. Uh, so it's just uh, really such an incredible worship experience in our two plenaries together that women just kind of feel like they're lifted to the roof. <laughs> you know, well, Lord Jesus, come quickly. It's just <laughs> such a, um, an enlivening experience. Yes. And then we have Georgine Rice, who will be yes. singing the solo us, and we're just really thrilled with that. And uh, I'll let her song be a surprise to you. It's, it's just going to be wonderful. And she's also doing a breakout for us. Um, it's a little bit of a, a long title, so I'm going to, yeah, The Wonder of His Love, Extending the Love of Christ to the Poor, Abused, and the Marginalized. And Georgie does such a great job in helping us to get out of ourselves and get to the mm. people that really need to experience the wonder of God. Well, I so found that... Ignite is always inspiring and challenging, and when you get up at the end of the of the day, you just sense God's presence. You f- you feel a sense of calling. I want to go out and 
be uh, like Jesus wherever God is calling me. And I'm so excited that we have an opportunity once again. I should also mention there are opportunities for prayer. There are women available to pray with guests during the lunch break. So if you really feel moved that I want to spend some time in prayer, there are women who will come around you and do that. And there's opportunity to network and connect with local ministries that specialize in uh, serving women. And so this is just a full uh, full day of, uh, of wonderful fellowship and teaching, and you will not go away hungry, I'll tell you that. When you register, I should go ahead. I don't think you want to go away saying, oh, I sure wish I'd brought my sister-in-law or my mom or my next door neighbor. Reach out. See who God might be sweeping in. I'm really thrilled. I have about five friends coming this year that Mm -hmm. don't even go to my home church. So um, it's such an opportunity to, to bring women and help them to experience something bigger than their present pain. Yes, yeah. So bring a carload of girlfriends to this faith-inspiring day. Now, we're talking about Saturday, March the 2nd. Uh, the doors uh, open at 8 for registration, but the morning begins at 8.50. We're all finished at 4.15, and it's amazing how much rich... Uh, teaching and inspiration is is packed into that uh, that day. I should mention that child care will not be provided, so do make arrangements for that. This year we're going to be at Greater Portland Bible Church on uh, Southwest Vermont Street in Portland, so make note of that. And if you register now, you can take advantage of the uh, lower registration price. You have until uh, Sunday the 24th at midnight to enjoy the early registration price of $30. Uh, there's a group rate of $25, and you can get more details on that if you have a, a group, I believe, of 10 or more. And there's the online registration will end on the 26th, if I can read my own writing here. So do make note of that uh, for the event. You want to be as cost effective as possible. Let us know you're coming. You have the option of pur- uh, purchasing lunch and you can take advantage of that. It's a wonderful time to come together as women and just talk about uh, how the morning has gone as we anticipate the afternoon. I remember sitting at a table last year with a group of women. I did not know any of them. And we had the most wonderful conversation about the workshops we had attended and the plenary speaker uh, who had addressed all of us that day. It is a tremendous opportunity for fellowship and for teaching and to reignite our love for God's word. Now, um, let me ask you, Karen, what would you say to women who are thinking, oh, I don't know, I I may not know anyone there. I'm not sure I'll feel comfortable there. I'm not sure this is going to be relevant to me. Well, I would say, why would you miss a spiritual spa? I mean, it, uh. it delights all the senses. You sense as you walk in and hear the worship team, just a, a cleansing and a, an uplifting, which we all need in these gray days, especially of winter. And you meet new friends. And there's all ages and sizes and stories of women. And often we get to share some of our stories as we walk to the workshops Mm -hmm. and as we debrief what we've learned. So it's a very welcoming atmosphere where every woman is welcome to come in and recalibrate uh, their lives and their thinking and their sights on God. Mm -hmm. Now, once again, we're talking about Ignite the Wonder. That's coming up on March the 2nd at Greater Portland Bible Church. And make note of the location on Southwest Vermont Street in Portland. You can register at westernseminary.edu slash ignite. Again, that's westernseminary.edu slash ignite. We would love to see you there. You will be welcomed like a sister and a longtime friend. And I guarantee you that God will meet you there and speak to your heart. I love the music. I love the dancing. I love the 
drama and just an opportunity for us to uh, reflect on God's word and who he is. And I'm so looking forward to hearing you, Karen, and the other workshop presenters who have been praying and preparing to speak to women in our community. Phyllis, any closing words? Come. <laughs> don't, come don't, and see. Come and experience. Don't miss it. Um, it's, uh, <laughs> it is such a stimulating uh, high point of my year every year. And uh, I've never met a woman yet who hasn't been absolutely thrilled with their experience there. And again, I would encourage you to bring a carload of girlfriends, bring your best friend, bring your neighbor, uh, members of your family, women who might not be as comfortable attending a church service yet will be very comfortable at Ignite. So they are welcome, whether they're believers or seekers. We want to encourage you to bring them along. And again, uh, the uh, pre-registration or early registration price of $30 uh, continues through the 24th. That's Sunday at midnight. And then the online registration uh, through the 26th. So make note of that and we look forward to seeing you there March the 2nd for Ignite the Wonder. Let me just thank both of you for your commitment to ministering to women in our community and I am so looking forward uh, to seeing both of you on that Saturday, March the 2nd. Thank you, Georgie. Look forward to it too. Thank you and God bless. What a tremendous um, group of women present to other women here in the metro area. I hope you will join us. Ignite. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we will wrap things up. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We are back for our final segment this afternoon. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Tomorrow on the program, we're going to talk with Scott Kadresha, author of Ready or Not, spelled with a K, 12 conversations every couple needs to have before marriage. On Wednesday, we'll talk with Steve Van Horn. He's a local ministry, Item Ministries. We'll bring you up to date. He had been a guest on this program um, several times, but it's been a long time, so we're going to try to bring you up to date. On Thursday, Rita Dunaway will be my guest, Restoring America's Soul, Advancing Timeless Conservative Principles in a Wayward Culture. And then on Friday, we will lighten up just a bit. Well, a letter on God and the Constitution that was written by George Washington is up for sale after spending decades in a private collection. That letter to Richard Peters, Speaker of the Pennsylvania Constitution, is signed September 7th, 1788, praises God for the ratification of the U.S. Constitution. It was written a week after Washington told Alexander Hamilton that he would likely accept calls to assume the presidency. The letter came at a time when the Constitution was under attack. Some states wanted to hold a second convention that may have undermined the Constitution. He wrote, it would seem from the public gazettes that the minority in your state are preparing for another attack on the now adopted government. How formidable it may be, I know not, Washington wrote. But that providence, which has hitherto smiled on the honest endeavors of the well-meaning part of the people of this country, will not, I trust, withdraw its support from them at this crisis. Well, the letter, which is priced at $140,000, is up for sale in Pennsylvania, it's an historical document. A dealer Rahab uh, collection is um, doing the the work of selling it. Washington, who was the general in chief of the Continental Congress, or rather the Continental Army during the war and the president of the Constitutional Convention, makes a remarkable statement in this powerful letter. His victory in battle and his stewardship over the convention that led to our Constitution came with the guiding influence of a higher power. The president of the Rahab collection 
uh, points out in a statement of that correspondence. Washington artifacts uh, have attracted plenty of attention in recent memory. A look at the founding father's hair, for example, was recently sold at auction for $35,000. I tell you what, you can have a lock of mine for, oh, 10. Just call James. Dubbed the uh, first Oval Office, Washington's Revolutionary War tent is the key exhibit at the Museum of the American Revolution in Philadelphia. Used as a mobile field headquarters, the canvas tent uh, was used during many of the Revolutionary War's key moments, such as the Siege of Yorktown, the war's last major battle. So sort of a fascinating artifact from the first president of the United States, George Washington. All right. Once again, Scott Kadresha will be my guest on Tuesday. Ready or not, K-N-O-T, 12 conversations every couple needs to have before marriage. The book is published by Baker. He'll be my guest tomorrow. I want to thank James Blind for producing today's program, Clark Hilton for engineering, and thank you for making The Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.